Oh, hello, everybody. What a fun surprise. Just me alone at the top. Here's why. Got a little bit of promo. I am doing a show in London at the Bill Murray Comedy Club on the 17th of March. That's a Sunday. It's St. Patrick's Day. But do you care? No. You're going to come and see my show at four o'clock. It's over by five. It's very cheap. I don't know how much, but it's like eight pounds or something because I'm a piece of fucking trash. Okay. And I would love if you were to come see it. It's a work in progress. I'm pulling together a show for Edinburgh. I need warm, delightful, encouraging rooms in which to peddle my new wares. And I would love for you to be a part of that crowd. Jeff will be there. Does that even matter? No, I'm the fucking star of this podcast and we all know it. So hopefully see you there Sunday, the 17th of March, 4 to 5 p.m. at the Bill Murray Comedy Club. Tickets available at angelcomedy.co.uk. And if you didn't catch that, there's a link in the episode notes. I wanted to talk about the family outing we went on this weekend. We went to a thing called the Balloon Museum. And it's one of these places that has very clearly been designed with Instagram in mind. And probably the most grammable thing there is a ball pit the size of a swimming pool. And they have filled the entire thing with little yellow plastic balls with smiley faces. So there must have been like millions, which makes me feel anxious to think about. All that plastic. Oh, just a million anything. You're like, no. (laughs) And then you start to think about like outer space and atoms and stuff. (laughs) But then also a lot of yellow balloon. It's a real, it's a feast for the eyes. And you were right in there. I wanted to get in. And then I couldn't get out. <laughs> do you know what happened? Well, I'll be honest, like, because it is so grammable, I thought I would do you the favour of videoing it. So you had some content for your Instagram, because you're always looking for content. Any content. So I was watching this unfold. And the thing it was most similar to was if you ever see somebody get sucked into quicksand in a, in a <laughs> yes, film. Yes. I could see your your face disappearing under the balls. They were closing oh, in over so, your face. It felt re- like I, I felt really scared. Now, I wasn't worried because I'd seen a sign on the way in saying that the ball pit was only a metre deep. But I could see you panicking. Oy. And at the same time, I'm thinking, oh, maybe this is the kind of content you'll want. So as you're finishing underneath <laughs> the balls, you go, Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. And I'm thinking, keep rolling, keep rolling, get the footage. I'll be helping you more in the long run by capturing the video. But I felt scared and I didn't know why you weren't helping me. And then eventually, because I could see the sheer panic on your face, I did put one hand out, but kept my phone in the other one to, to keep capturing the action. And then, fortunately for you, there was a knight in shining armour because there was another dad nearby who didn't look at all amused by what was happening. He was repulsed that you weren't helping me. But what he doesn't understand is I was helping you. I was helping you generate content for social media. Yes, we're just a, a couple of zanies having a good time in the ball pit. A middle-aged lady is Thinking. She's scared, but in a cute way. Her husband is doing a shtick. And this guy treated us like we were disgusting to him. And you know, I wouldn't have had the upper body strength to hoist you out with both arms anyway. You would have. I that don't was think the thing. So. I don't you think would have so. then fallen back down. <laughs> but I would have gotten up and then I can just use my body more effectively than you can, which is why it was so embarrassing that I wasn't able to stay upright in the first place. 
Now we have an exciting guest on this episode. We really, really do. We This is very Hollywood for us. This is one of the hottest showrunners in Tinseltown. We succeeded in scoring Issa Lopez, the showrunner of this season of True Detective. Have you seen the final episode yet? No, I'm going to watch that tonight. Rolling Stone magazine <gasps> have described it as the best True Detective ending ever. Oh my God, that's yeah. so, that makes, God, that makes me feel so legitimately happy. You're going to love her. Our guest later is Issa Lopez. Your quick watch. I did something that people have been telling me it's silly I haven't done since my big reveal that one of my great passions is the opioid crisis. You love the opioid crisis. I love the fucking opioid crisis. And I watched Dope Sick. There are eight episodes. It came out, I guess, in 2021. I'm late to the party, obviously, but I... I loved watching it so much. I think it's to do with the fact that like these horrible, horrible people made this thing happen. And by horrible people, you mean the Sackler family? The Sackler family who ran the company that sort of made this drug intentionally to make money and get people addicted off of it. Who is in it? Okay. Rosario Dawson is in it. She's so pretty. I've had a little crush on yes, some years. Yes, I know. And I think, didn't she go out with somebody British and Danny older? Danny Boyle, I think. And when that happens, a little part of your brain thinks, well, maybe, maybe, what just I? maybe. <laughs> That's what I think sometimes. Like, if I see a hot dad, like, we'll be somewhere on a family thing, and then I will immediately scan for his partner and decide whether or not <laughs> I'm as cute or cuter or less cute, and then decide whether or not I would have been able in a different life to fuck that guy. I think the the flaw with me thinking, well, Rosaria Dawson had an, an old British boyfriend. Uh, it's missing the detail that he was an eminent film director, Danny Boyle. Danny Boyle isn't perfect. He's made some <laughs> bad films, hasn't he? Mm. I think you should go for it. <laughs> this is what I want to say about Rosario, is that she's a really good actor. Did you know that she's just one week younger than you are? I did know that, and also a grandma. Like my sister. Your sister and I were born within two hours of each other. She is a grandma. No, she's a nana. You know, I know someone whose mom like wasn't comfortable with becoming a grandma because of her relationship to her own sort of beauty and body and all that shit. So what they called her was Glamma. <laughs> so your sister I don't, I don't think that's doing the job that they hoped it would no but your sister is a glamour yeah and rosario is a glamour and what and what is she playing she works for the dea that's like the drug squad isn't it it's what hank worked for in breaking bad exactly that mm. and so they're trying to figure out what's going on with this oxycontin stuff and there's like but we can't do anything because there's no cartel and then she's like there is a cartel. I have full body chills as I think about the story playing out. They live in Stamford, Connecticut, and they're called the Sacklers. And then Michael Keaton in the role of this doctor. And I don't want to tell you too much about the character's journey because it will spoil the show for you. But Michael Keaton is astounding. One of the signs that he's like a great doctor. He does house calls. This doctor fucking comes to your house. What happened to the house call? I'm imagining it's not a good use of their time, especially in an age where everybody has a telephone. I just feel like I want them. I want these people looking at my bod, feeling my bod, feel up my bod, you know, <laughs> touch on the bod. Oh, God. Do you know that there's like, I'm going to call it an epidemic of doctors who do stand up? That doesn't speak well to the medical profession, does it? No. I just don't love it when a doctor wants to do another thing. I'll be a writer. Fuck you. Just be, no, no offense to we all know who, but like, just be the doctor. And by the way, some of these doctor comedians are really good and some of them are terrible. But like, 
just be the doctor. No hobbies when you're a doctor. Just be the doctor. You are hobby free. You know what? Go fishing on the weekend. Like, <laughs> like read, but not fucking stand up. Contemplate a model of a skeleton in the corner of your study whilst you read a medical journal. <gasps> oh my God, Jeff, you know that my mother's gynecologist in the 90s was very into like community theater? Like, if you went to see the Lake Forest production of Showboat, the fucking local gynecologist was in the production. That, for me, would have been like, we are done here. We are done here. <laughs> Whatever it is in you that's trying to find joy, you find it elsewhere in a private way. <laughs> so is this the best version today of being able to scratch your opioid crisis addiction itch? It is. I'm addicted to the story of addiction. I've got a late to the party quick watch this week. So we together watched a bit more of the new Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which is good. And Maya Erskine is one of the leads in that. And a few people have said to me, have you seen her show Pen15? Mm-hmm. Which I think is about five years old at this point. Right. And I never have. I am aware of it, but I think based on nothing, I had it in my head it was going to be too cool. I don't even know what I mean by that, but there have been shows in the past like Skins, or this life. Uh-huh. I've just thought it shows I think they're cool. I'm not going to watch them. Uh-huh. Cutting off my own nose to spite my face. Right. Um, so do you know anything about it? Yes, I do because my brother was obsessed with it for a while. So I know that it's Maya Erskine and another actor. Yeah, she's called Anna Conkle. And the two of them play teenage girls, even though they're in their 30s. But it's not like a Grease situation where we uh, suspend our disbelief in that way. We, we the viewer, are aware that they are older because all the other actors in it are actual kids. Yeah. And it's a high school coming of age comedy done really well. I thought it was great. And this is peculiar to me because usually something that I cannot watch is adults pretending to be kids. I hate it. Uh It it makes my skin crawl. I feel (laughs) sick. It's so horrible. I don't like it when adults speak in babyish voices. So that's not like a fantasy that you want to bring into the bedroom. Oh my God. People who enjoy it. If their young lady friend calls them daddy. Oh, I wonder if that's real. It's real. Yeah. Is that real? I've heard it in pop songs on the radio. Is it in the same category if someone wants to be an adult in a diaper? That I'm fine with. You have some respect for those people. Yeah, because they've got some weird thing going on and I don't think they should be shamed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like shame people who do any kind of a baby voice. I also shut down. If I ever see a woman with a sucker in her mouth, I ban that person forever. Oh, like a dummy? No, not a dummy. Um, A lolly? Uh-huh. Sorry, if it's ever like, oh, I'm licking something. I'm like, I'll never buy your work ever it's again. It's horrible, isn't it? Like, I guess if Beyonce did it, that would be okay. But <laughs> anyone other than, but she mostly Why does doesn't. Why she get a free pass? She's, you know, because of her status as the queen. But anyone else, like fucking Lana Del Rey. Why does it get a lot of men like this infantilized thing? Whereas I don't think I've ever heard a, a woman want a man to speak to them in a little cute baby voice. No, it's because it's it's like ultimately thought of as like a sort of feminine thing. Although John Lennon did call Yoko mother. You know what? I respect for that because I think that is fucking how a lot of men feel. Like breaking news. I think they like want someone to be their mom. And at least he's being honest about it. You know, I had an ex-boyfriend and I became aware that he wanted me to be his mom. I was like, he wants me to be his fucking mom. When you went shopping, did he, he want to sit in the little thing in the trolley while you pushed him around the supermarket? He's too, too much of a big boy for that. What was he doing with you? Because you're not very maternal. No, I know. The point is then one time he called me mom. Like he got frustrated and was like, mom. And I was like, ha, ha, <laughs> fucking yes. 
So these two, this Maya Erskine and this Anna Conkle, what it is, is it feels genuine. Whatever is awkward and, and strange about being a teenager, they pitch it just right. And I think it's really good. Only series two is available to watch in the UK. That's weird. I'm sure a young person listening would know a website where you can just watch stuff for free, but I'm, I'm too afraid of the police swooping on our house and doing a raid. Both of our quick watches this week are shows that were recommended in our inbox. So thank you to you if you sent us an email. We, we love receiving your email. But we don't just want to say, oh, send us an email, because it's too much admin for you. So just to give you some ideas of things that we might like to hear from you about. Um, something you said to me before we started recording was that uh, some of the decent Appalachian folk in Dope Sick made you feel bad about yourself. And I wondered, are there any fictional TV characters who who, who make you feel bad about yourself? I, I have one. Who? Bluey's dad. He, he is the father that I would like to be. But, yeah. But I can't because of my temperament. I think you have a good parental temperament. But I'm not. It's I'm... shitty as a husband. But as a dad, I think your temperament's really good. Also, based on Pen15, I, I love anything in the sphere of coming of age. So any good coming of age recommendations. One of the best things I've seen in recent years, maybe one of my favourites of all time, is that Bo Burnham film, Eighth Grade. Oh, yeah, that was really good. I also, other end of the spectrum, really loved The Inbetweeners when it first came on because that felt like a, a an authentic nerdy slightly pathetic teenage experience which isn't the one you always see on screen so uh, so any coming of age recommendations also anything in the category of tv made me feel old pen 15 is a, is a retro show but set in the early noughties oh and why don't we do um worst examples or most cringy examples of adults playing kids I don't feel I see all that much of it. Whereas I feel like talking to you, it's like you're constantly just watching all these adults play kids. (laughs) I I think it's a thing that comes up a lot in comedy. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. Um, Plus your recommendations, please. Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. Yep, 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 yep. I'm getting into my Patreon voice. Yep, 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 yep. It's never going to stop. It's never going to stop. Do you know what I think about sometimes is that when I was growing up, there was, well, I mean, there still is PBS, which is the public broadcasting station. There would be periodic points in the year where they would like do... Pledge drives. They beg yeah, for money. Pledge, yeah, that's, a pledge drive. That's what it was. And I'd be like, oh, shit. I would hate it. But... I would know that at least it was only going to happen at these three points across the year. It's it's like when you go on Wikipedia and it's that time of year where they're asking you to donate. Yeah, exactly. The point is, you have my sympathies because I think that what I put you through isn't something that happens a couple times a year. I give it to you every week. I will never give up. Not even if you raise enough to pay for this plastic surgery that you don't need. I fucking need it. And let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If we get to a point financially where I can get my eyes done, I will stay off plugging the Patreon for the number of weeks that my eyes are in recovery. (laughs) But other than that, I will continue to plug every week. Look, here's why you're going to do it. Three things. Thing one, what are you getting? You know what the fuck you're getting? You're getting your watch list. You just do a little click. Mm, mm, mm. You see it? Number two, you're giving me money. What am I going to spend it on? Apparently the balloon museum. (laughs) Summer season is coming. I mean, don't you want me to have the pair of shorts that looks right on me? (laughs) You do. I think maybe we'll wind up doing some more AMAs. They went swimmingly for us. People fucking loved them. 
Thank you guys so much. We've had so many emails and messages <laughs> saying how amazing it was. And we just wanted to <laughs> join the Patreon. You know you want to. And if you are in difficult financial straits, all I ever ask is tell a friend with excellent taste. Patreon.com stroke they like to watch. And coming up later, showrunner and creator of True Detective Night Country, Issa Lopez. I was reading an interview with her on Deadline. Here's what she says. I was briefly married to a scientist and I love science. I was an archaeologist and I studied anthropology. That's the beauty of TV. And then she says that you get to follow your obsessions. When you hear something like that, do you ever wish you'd done more with your life? Well, actually, to be very honest with you, if I heard that, I would think it would sound too all over the place. I'd be like, focus in. Stay in your lane. Stay in your lane, bitch. But Having seen the product, I, I support. I think that all of these explorations led her into making something lovely. She's a fantastic guest. Coming up later, Issa Lopez. <laughs> Together this week, we started watching the second series of Life and Beth, which is the dramedy, although I don't mean that in a bad way. It's mainly comedy, but there is dramatic plot to it, from Amy Schumer, who is, I think, one of your go-to people for laughs if not for nuanced opinions about the Middle East. Yes, and that will be our only comment on that. You find her as funny as you find anyone. There's a reason why she's the lady at the top of the pile. The first series, from what I can remember, you meet Beth, who is Amy Schumer's alter ego. You know what I'm always interested in? Like these people who sort of are themselves but aren't fully themselves in the characters they're playing. So, for example, Amy Schumer in Life and Beth, or... Tina Fey as Liz Lemon. How are these people picking their names? Doesn't your mom sometimes operate under an alter ego? Oh my God, my mom's alter ego. Why does she have an alter ego? <gasps> okay, so I don't quite know, but my mother... Whose name is Lynn. Whose name is Lynn. She went to a kibbutz when she was maybe 17 years old. And I think from a place of reinvention, she came up with a new name for herself and it was Shoshana. Shoshana. So she just told everyone her name was Shoshana. So at any point when she wants to appear on the internet, so like at different points where she's wanted to leave like positive comments on things that I've done, <laughs> but not be recognizable as my mother, she puts herself down as Shoshana. So the, the Beth in the title, Life and Beth, is Amy Schumer's alter ego. She's kind of playing herself, but she's not. She's not playing a comedian. She's playing a young woman who has a messy breakup, goes back to her hometown. Her mother isn't very well. And over the course of the first series, that plays out. And she meets a man who is a farmer. Played by Michael Sarah. And I have to say, he is phenomenal in it. And a big part of the storyline, and I don't think it's giving too much away because Amy Schumer talks about this publicly. Her husband is an autistic person and his autism and his autism diagnosis was sort of like hinted at in season one and now is a central feature of, of season two. The second season picks up where the first one has left off and it's more about their relationship and his autism and they get married very early on in the season. <laughs> have, have you ever had a farmer's wife fantasy? No. The farmer wants a wife? No, no, no. The life of a farmer is very, very hard, you know. I don't know if any farmers are listening to this podcast, but I, I've got an idea that could revolutionise farming. Yeah. Get up a bit later. <laughs> it's fine. The cows would appreciate a lion. Like, what else is a cow doing? Is that true about cows? Do you know anything about the sleep schedule of cows? I don't. I just think they've always done it this way, getting up at the crack of dawn and, and tilling the land and going to the milking shed. And, and it hasn't occurred to them that we could, we could just 
bump this by a couple of hours, two, three hours and have a lie in. Here's what I'm saying. Yeah. I feel that the sensitivity and realism that Amy Schumer and her husband are bringing to the story of autism, I'm not sure we're getting an equally realistic presentation of what the farmer's life is like. I think your instinct is right, by the way. I don't don't think you have the essence of a farmer's wife. I couldn't see you chasing a small mouse around a farm kitchen (laughs) with a meat cleaver. Oh, is that what they have to do? I think farmers' wives do that usually, don't they? And I don't think you could be with a farmer because I think they're they're often quite silent types, aren't they? This is what, yeah. And I just, I don't, I just don't see it for myself. Weather beaten. I just don't think my, you know, if you die, I just don't think my person is like milking, wringing a chicken's neck, carrying big things. Uh, my father doesn't carry big things. I didn't marry my first husband. He doesn't carry big things. <laughs> So why would my second husband, like, carry things? Yeah. We should be clear here that, that most of the action doesn't take place on a farm. There's, there's a bit of rural stuff going on. But, for example, the wedding episode, they go to New Orleans. I'm noticing a trend. All these goddamn shows, many of which I like, and I like this show very much. Everyone's doing their New Orleans episode. We get it. We get it. It's got soul. It's got flavor. Enough. It's like, oh, I'm in the South. And ooh, it's a, ooh the eccentric of Norland. Ooh, go down a little alley and see the bright <laughs> colors and the music. Like, I get it. They're beignets. I get it. I've always wanted to have my my Norland's experience. My brother went to university there and so I visited a few times but it was always with my parents. Doesn't it get very hedonistic though, aren't they? Like, drinking in the streets and throwing out beads. Yes, and that is, even though I have said, and I will repeat, my tits are, I think, aging better than any other part of my body. But I'm not a fucking whore, so I'm not going to get them out on the streets of Nolans. Now, I really like this show. There's a few things that I'm not thrilled with. One of which, so so her childhood friends, I, th- I think there are three of them. They feature quite heavily, like they go to New Orleans for the wedding. And I'm just getting a whiff in the second season that we're going to spend a bit more time finding out about each of the friends. And I do not want that. I feel about this programme like I feel about my own friends and their friends. I'm really interested in my friends and the lead characters, Amy Schumer and Michael Sarah. very interested. Not that interested in friends of friends. I don't want to get to know them. I think the good parts of this show, which is basically everything with her husband, and I actually think when it's her just with her girlfriends and they're talking about being 40 and it really... I mean, some of what they were doing felt very authentic to me, and I I loved it. And it's properly funny. But a thing that they do is um, there are flashbacks in this show. So we cut to like Amy Schumer as a kid, and I'm just it just doesn't pull me in. Like, I sort of immediately take out my phone. I'm like, oh, I have to, like, be in in the 90s with her as a teenager. And I don't want that. I hate a flashback. Even in a show like The Sopranos, some of the greatest television, I'm just annoyed when you go into a flashback. The only examples of it that spring to mind where, where I like it are in Breaking Bad, mm-hmm. where it's just nice to see Walt with hair again. Oh. And before the hubris has set in. <sighs> and then... Better Call Saul is very cleverly constructed around flashbacks in a way that isn't annoying. But really, in 90% of shows, aren't the flashbacks just terrible? If you are a writer, I've got an idea for you. Mm. Write your characters with enough depth that we can fill in the gaps about their past without seeing a flashback. Yes, I think that's right. But I think that so many shows employ it. Stop it. They should stop it. A lot of cameos in this series. Oh, 
she's a popular lady, lots I of famous know. friends. No, well, this is what is endlessly fascinating to me about Amy Schumer is that like there are ways that she is capable of being funny that are so rooted in being and seeming like a real person that I'm like, you must be very grounded because you couldn't be that funny in that way if you weren't a grounded person. And then some of the antics this lady gets up to with her celebrity friends are so crazy and disconnected from reality. And the reason that the cameos are so annoying is because the stuff with her husband and with her friends feels incredibly real. And then to go into kind of cheesy, weird cameoville. I quite like David Byrne from Talking Heads as a doctor, though. Yes. Oh, of course I'm not cool enough to be able to recognize David Byrne. That's her doctor. Uh-huh. See, that was funny. And Jennifer Coolidge crops up in it. And the Jennifer Coolidge one I didn't like. Isn't that weird? Because we love her. I love her. And I thought she was funny in it. But it's just like, it gets to a point where you're like, you're just showing me how many famous people that you know. It's making your show worse. I feel that between moaning about the celebrity cameos, mm-hmm. the flashbacks... <laughs> And too much time spent with supporting characters. We're giving the impression that we didn't enjoy this show. I loved it. It's it's really funny and really good. It's really funny and really good. And I kept watching it being like, why is this so good? It's really, really, really good. And I think a big part of it is she is a phenomenal actor. She does such a good job of being herself on camera. It is as good a job of someone being themselves on a screen as I think I've ever seen. And I don't know if it's an issue of direction or what, but it just looks and feels so good. Have you seen Life and Beth? Did you enjoy the flashbacks? Are there any examples of shows that do flashbacks well other than Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul? Do you look forward to a flashback? Also, are there other locations like New Orleans where we have to declare some kind of moratorium on TV shows having an episode set there because it's become such a cliche? I would say maybe Florida to be like, and now you're going with where the retirees are. Yeah. It's not as bad, but that one. Like, let's start. People can go to Seattle. People can go to Portland, Oregon. Paris? Um, No, we're saying... American-centric, if you don't mind. I do mind. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And coming up next, one of the hottest showrunners in the world right now, the final episode of True Detective Night Country has just aired. It's Issa Lopez. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs and medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Well, congratulations. I saw, uh, saw on your Instagram you've been out celebrating the ratings. Yes. I, well, I mean, how could you not, right? Of course. But... How obsessive about those ratings are you? Are you, uh, you counting the minutes until they come in? Are you checking them in the middle of the night? I want to say I'm not, but I am. <laughs> um, um, you, you make the series, and as has happened with the movies that I've made in the past, every time that I've been on a set, it's been glorious and Honestly, even with the conditions, even with the darkness, even with the cold, this was probably the most beautiful shooting experience I've ever had. So when you're shooting it, you go, it doesn't matter if nobody watches it because we had this experience. And you say that, right? Well, you know you're lying (laughs) because it matters. You want people to come and see the little thing of love you made and enjoy it and appreciate the story, that's why I became a storyteller, you know, to sit in front of the fire and have the townspeople come sit down with me and say, once upon a time, in a really, really cold, dark night. And I love it when they come and sit and listen and they want to know more and they stay. So, yeah, you care about the ratings. You do. Do you have to set little rules in place for yourself? Like you're like, okay, I just checked. So now I have to go four hours now without looking. Yes, I do. And then I don't ever follow up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I get the ratings usually on a Monday because the show plays usually on a Sunday. You start your day and you try to think about your day and your routine and your writing and your life and supermarket and the neighbors. And it's around noon that you get the email with the results. Oh. And uh, and then that's it. That's it. You you cannot know more until the next Monday. But sometimes I do, you know, send a message to one of the execs at HBO on a Thursday and I go like, how are we doing? And they can simply say, we're doing well. And, and we've been doing well. Yes. Yeah. I just can't imagine because this is the first time I see TV like this. What would happen with your psyche if they come back and say, Listen, I don't want you to worry about this, <laughs> but I've never had that call. Yeah, but that isn't what that isn't what happens. <laughs> what what happens is, yeah, they tell you that you uh, oh, listen, you're doing really well in eighteen to twenty five year old men who live in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> They'd start pulling out these really tiny details instead of giving you the headline figures. Can you tell us how you got matched up with True Detective? Um, it was it was in the middle of the pandemic, and I was writing several scripts that I I have contracts to write. But for the longest time in my life, I had been very curious about writing a murder mystery. So I started toying with the idea of a murder mystery. And so often, murder mysteries are all about where they take place, the place, the environment, the setting. So I wanted to do a murder mystery, and I had been thinking of setting. And I thought it would be fascinating to set one in the Arctic. And that was it. I had like 
the bare bones of an idea. And I put it aside and I let it brew because that's when, except when someone hires you to write, the healthiest way to do it for me is to just let it brew. And then, I don't know, some weeks later, I got a phone call uh, from HBO and they had seen a movie I made called Tigers Are Not Afraid. And I think they saw something in the movie that reminded them of the feeling of True Detective. And they gave me a call and they said, what would you do with True Detective if we were to give it to you? And I remember my murder on the ice. And I, I thought that it was brilliant because True Detective, of all things, is about the setting. So much about that original series that we are obsessed with is about that back corner of the Louisiana Bayou and of the secret societies and the religious fanatics and the lost people in the backwoods of that. And I thought, oh, how would that work in the furthest town on earth? And I went back, now knowing that it was going to be True Detective. And I started joining lines. And it was just a perfect fit. Uh Uh-huh. And I came back to HBO and I said, I have this idea. And they loved it. Had you experienced the Arctic darkness, you know, those long days when the sun doesn't really rise? Is that something you'd ever seen firsthand? No, of course I hadn't. I'm Mexican. I had visited Iceland briefly when I was really, really broke between jobs because I always wanted to see the Northern Lights. And I got um, a super cheap ticket and I went there and I got the saddest version of the Northern Lights through the clouds. And um, and because I was so broke, I couldn't barely pay for my, my mold wine. And I had a feeling that I was going to return. I just never knew that I was going to spend 10 months of my life living in that country. And it is a shock to the system to be outside at minus 23 especially when you're working, right? But the funny thing is, again, nobody put a gun to my head to write and direct a show that was going to put me for months in the darkness, in the cold. That was me. And it's kind of mysterious. I suspect I need therapy. (laughs) Well, firstly, congratulations on getting somebody else to pay for your return (laughs) trip to Iceland. Mm -hmm. Secondly, what are the challenges in in an environment like that? So presumably you've, you've never shot... Anyway, like, the, the cameras start to go funky when it gets that cold. And this is before we even start thinking about what, what the, the challenges of the darkness throws up. The first thing that we discovered is that my director monitor had a delay. And it was hard for me to understand the quality of a performance of the delivery an actor gave me if there was out of sync. And I, it was driving me insane. And I was torturing my technical team. How is it possible that my monitor is out of sync? What happened, we discovered, is that the fluid, these new monitors are made of liquid crystals. The fluid inside the monitors would slightly freeze and their response would be slower. And it was impossible to sink in those conditions. So (laughs) from that to the fact that actors could give you two or three takes before their lips would start freezing and they would start flubbing the lines and they would need hot tea, a bread in a tent before coming out and say something intelligible. And the fact that you had to wear 
six layers of clothing. And then when you had to go to the bathroom, that was 45 minutes to get them all out <laughs> and then get them all up. So, so I, had the, I had this onesie that was like a magic pajama that saved my life and made me look super stupid the entire time. I don't know how nobody respected me. And it was the sign for men, that onesie. So I had the costume department cut a little flap for me to be able to go to the bathroom. All kinds of challenges that you wouldn't believe. You know what? You could probably make a lot of money out of selling those in the in the Nordic countries and in Alaska, places where it gets very cold. I mean, like that, that could be, uh, be your ticket out of this hellhole, Isha. I think so. <laughs> I wanted to ask you a bit about the casting because I thought it was so interesting to see in True Detective. We get used to seeing pairings of incredibly famous people. To get to see one of the most famous actors in the entire world matched up with someone who was pretty unknown, I thought was such a great choice. I was wondering if you could just tell us about the journey to those two leads. Well, what happened is in my original idea, it was a white woman and a Latina, because I am a Latina. But the more I understood about the makeup of the towns that inspired Ennis, which is a fictional town, the reality of the fact that 70% of the population or more, depending on the town, is Inuit, is native, made it clear that I could not, in good conscience, have both characters not be part of that. So I made a very, very complicated decision that one of the two detectives had to be native. Now, the issue is the world has changed since because now we have Lily Gladstone. But when I came up with this, there were no leading actresses that were Native American, which in itself is insane. And that gave me the opportunity of do one of my favorite things in the whole world, which is to bring new talent and give them the chance. It's one of the things that makes me the proudest in the world is to find someone who has insane talent and presence and charm and giving them the chance they need, they deserve. So I talked to my casting director and she had heard about Kaylee Reese because she had just uh, released a very, very small independent movie, but really good. And she was getting a lot of buzz. And so my casting director sent me a photograph of Kaylee and just with the photograph, I was shocked because that was Navarro. She looked like what I imagined Navarro to be. And then I saw the movie and that completely cleared it for me. I could feel it. I could get it from her. So I went to HBO and had a very complicated conversation of, I know this is true detective. I know that it's supposed to be two stars, but I think this is an opportunity. And they were very cautious. But when they saw Kaylee, they were like, if you think you can get a performance that will stand in front of no less than Jodie Foster, we will trust you. And that was terrifying. <laughs> so I went to Jodie Foster and I said, hey, <laughs> this is Kaylee. And I showed her the movie and I showed her interviews with her and I showed her a tape I made with Kaylee. And I said, she's a newcomer, but you tell me. I'm seeing something very powerful there. And I see her standing in front of you and, and I feel things. And Jodi immediately wrote me an email saying, where did you find her? That reflects so well on her. And what can you tell us about Jodie Foster? From a showrunner, from a director, from a writer's perspective, what does she bring to a project? Jodie is the most beautiful collaboration I've ever had 
And I have 25 years of working on films and directing and storytelling. And I've met a lot of incredible artists and filmmakers and producers and actors. And there's no one like Jodie Foster. When you work with her and you see her just step on set and tap into absolute truth effortlessly, it's an act of magic. The first time that I'm going to work with an A-lister, I have the insane luck of working with someone who is this generous and this brilliant. I cannot believe it. I think that the rest of my career has to be downhill because it doesn't go better than this. <laughs> what, I mean, what else can happen? With all the filming that you did in Iceland, was their sort of approach to the supernatural that didn't inform anything in the show or what did you take from it? Well, it's super interesting because I come from a culture, the Mexican culture, which is one with the supernatural, right? With Mexican culture, the most salient point is a relationship to death and a relationship with the people that have left the world of the living but have not left the world. That's who we are as Mexicans. And the funny thing is that I end up shooting the show in a country that is even more obsessed with the supernatural than Mexico. And I didn't think that place existed. And it's incredible because... The Icelanders, it doesn't matter the walk of life. You can be talking with a politician. Or everybody in Iceland is, is an intellectual. They have an incredible education system. So 10% of the population has published a book. It doesn't matter who they are. If they're a published author, if they're a politician, if they're a scientist, if you get more than a couple of drinks into them, everyone will tell you they believe in the hidden people. The hidden people have addresses in Iceland. And when I went up north to shoot the most snowy of the scenes, and I stayed in a home with my beautiful producer, Mary Jo Winkler, I had a, this, I do love horror, listen, but I don't have ghostly experiences. I think I kind of love horror in the hopes of having them. But then in Iceland, I had a very weird night in that house. Extremely weird. So much so that the next morning I came down to the kitchen and I sat in front of Mary Jo and I said, we have a problem. We need to move from this house because if I don't sleep, and it's impossible to sleep, I'm not going to be able to continue directing the show. So Mary Jo, being the practical director she is, she was like, we need to talk to the Icelanders. And the Icelanders, instead of moving us houses, they sent a medium. It was a couple of very, very old Icelandic people that didn't speak English and went through the entire house. And then they came down and with a translator explained to Mary Jo that the house was very old and was full of spirits and they named the different types of spirits the house had. They have types. But the problem is that I had dragged another spirit with me, a very angry male figure. That happens to me a lot. Oh, <laughs> that I drag a... angry males around, <laughs> but never dead. You know, that's a new one. And then, and that that person was upsetting the normal ghosts of the house, but they had fixed it. And I had to just shower myself when I got there and send away anything else. So I came back and I was like, Mary, you explained it to me. And I was like, I'm not going to take a shower to shake a ghost. I took the shower. <laughs> and you know what? Huh? The next night was fine. You took a shower. 
the negative male spirit left you and then everything was fine? Everything was fine because the Islanders know how to fix that shit. So (laughs) if you want to have the experience, go there, talk to them, have it, fix it. You have it and you're good. In terms of the the palette of colors you've got for True Detective and the supernatural being one of them, how do you choose when to deploy it then? In absolute respect to the original True Detective, there is a version of things where there is a secret cult of the Yellow King and they're sacrificing children and women to satisfy this Yellow King. And you can, and, and Rost Cole in the very climax of the scene on top of the altar. And you can decide to buy that one. Or you can decide that he fried his brain with very, very heavy drugs when he was a narc. And everything is real. It's your choice. So same in Night Country. There is a path where something that inhabits the night country did things. Or you can decide that everything had a very logical explanation, which I will provide. So it's your choice in the end. very exciting. Before we let you go, Isak, can you tell us what you've been watching yourself at the moment? At the very moment, I'm watching uh, Expats, which Lulu Wang directed and wrote. Um, And it's beautiful and it's elegantly based. And the way that she frames is a lesson in filmmaking for me. I'm slowly catching up to the seasons that I missed of Curb Your Enthusiasm, (laughs) which is such a nice antidote to the darkness of of Night Country. And I just finished watching almost all of the movies that are part of the award season, and I'm truly in awe of poor things. Barbie I saw over the summer, and I think Barbie is... One of the smartest. I I was not expecting to like Barbie, you know. Look at Night Country. isn't very different. (laughs) But but I found it enchanting and and joyous and cheeky and wise. So it surprised me. And then Poor Things is kind of the same movie, but from the underworld. Um, And I love them both. And perhaps my favorite movie of the season, and it does have correlations with with Night Country, is All of Us Strangers, because it is about keeping your ghosts with you, you know? So it made me cry. Don't you just want to go and stay in a haunted cabin in Iceland with Issa Lopez? I really go to Paris with Issa Lopez. I want to go to Mexico City with (laughs) Issa Lopez. I want a girl's night. Wow, what an unbelievably inviting personality. And this is just a little peep behind the curtain. Mm. But we had some horrendous broadband issues. It was buffering, it was delayed, and people can be nice about that. But she she wanted to try and fix it for us. She went above and beyond. We were sort of like trying to power through and she was like, hold on, you are having a problem. What can I do? It was like, she came in and directed us. She show ran us. It was an extraordinary amount of patience and compassion. And um, I'm wishing her all the very best. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, this first email comes from Georgia Monk. Georgia writes, Dear Firecrotch and Normcore, I found Jeff's quest for anything funny very relatable, and I'm hoping for some tips for TV to watch with our mid-teen kids. We have lovingly devoured Deadlock, What We Do in the Shadows, 
fist. Oh, I love what we do in the shadows. Our flag means death. George, I don't know about that one. Oh, it's uh, it's from the people behind what we do in the shadows, and it's Reese Darby as a pirate, I think. I've heard good things about it. Okay. Reservation dogs and somebody somewhere. Can you recommend anything else that is similarly kind, funny, and or dark? I think someone on the podcast mentioned another New Zealand show recently in passing, maybe. Maybe is it The End, Georgia? I feel like this is this next one that people are trying to talk about. Look up The End. She continues, I've looked on the list but can't remember who had been watching it. All other suggestions, very welcome. I've got one for you, Georgia. I want you to think about Girls 5 Eva. Oh, yeah. I think that could be very good with some mid-teens. It's very clean. And do you know what? I think shit has changed since I was a teenager. Like, I don't know that I would want to watch Deadlock with my parents. Profanities? It starts with a sex scene. Yeah, yeah, of course, yeah. Yeah, you're more broad-minded. You're a more broad-minded adult than our parents were. Yeah, this is... Anyway, things are changing. But anyway, the point is, Girls 5 Ever... We should just explain what Girls 5 Ever is. It is a comedy about a girl band who are now in middle age and reunite. And there's some brilliant comic performances in it. It's very joke-dense. A lot of the initial really great comedy comes from Busy Phillips and Paula Pell, who are these very established comic actresses. But the other leads are Sarah Bareilles. The singer. The singer. Isn't she not gonna write you a love song? Yeah. If you ask... I can keep going. (laughs) And then Renee Elise Goldsberry, who plays Angelica. So she's this, like, major, major Broadway actor. And... You can see them go from a little bit out of their depth with the comedy to so fucking funny. You can't believe it. I'd say it's not best of the best, but it's really enjoyable and really funny. I would argue that a lot of what kept it from being best of the best was that it looked so fucking cheap. And I'm I'm just going to hold out hope that now that it's on Netflix, some of that will have changed. I also wondered, and I'm sure you have, Georgia, but I wondered if you'd watch Flight of the Concords with your kids. Oh, that's great. But that, do you not feel that one gets a little sexy? Ah, they're teenagers. I should stop being so um, small seed conservative, Sarah. But just in case you haven't, I'm assuming you have with the Our Flag Means Death and what we do in the shadows. But just in case you haven't, that is well worth a rewatch. So we are saying, to summarize, we're giving you Girls 5 Eva, we're giving you Flight of the Concords, but also anyone else who has any suggestions, because we don't have teenagers, we don't know, but those seem like they might be to taste. Thank you, Georgia. This comes from David Smith, who says, Hi, both. Long time, first time, etc. I don't know if this is up your street, Jeff, and it's a few years old now, but I very much enjoyed American Vandal on Netflix. I never watched this. I remember people talking about it at the time. David continues, It's a spoof true crime doc where the crime is who drew the dicks on cars in the school parking lot. And it's made, in inverted commas, by the Student AV Club. It seems like it couldn't sustain a series. And yes, it's a bit juvenile on the surface, but it is very well done. Season two is also very good and smuggles in a message about fame stroke social media as well. Dig out the trailers and see what you think. I think if someone says long time, first time, I think they've it's taken something out of them to email us. David, I don't want you to feel vulnerable. This was really, really useful. And I do like a mockumentary. I really want you to take what he said to heart. This was a brave moment for David, and we thank him for his contribution. Thank you. This next one comes from Lucy Van Bars, who writes, Hi, Jeff and Sarah. I hope you're both having a good week in the poorest of months, the Tuesday of months. That's interesting. You think February is the worst? I would slightly respectfully disagree. 
I think March is worse. Oh, I think January is worse. I don't. Because January, I always feel like, all right, here we go. It's like... But, but that lasts about three days. I'm just speaking about my own okay. feelings. Okay. That I... I don't want to invalidate you. Thank you, honey. Lucy continues. After your convo about murder on a Sunday morning, I was also compelled by Gemma Whelan's recommendation, and it was excellent. I know, you guys, if you care, my parents both watched it, and my mother was like, it was amazing. It is amazing. Murder on a Sunday morning. Murder on a Sunday morning. Murder on a Sunday morning. I was reminded of another damn good doc no one talks about. It's called The Long Shot, and it's about a guy who is accused and arrested for committing murder. The case plays out as a slow reveal, focusing on the defendant's lawyer working tirelessly to find ways to prove his client's innocence. Without giving too much away, I'll just say that an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm and Larry David become an integral part of the accused's future yes is this ringing a bell I've heard something about this yeah Ano oh another recent discovery is the end hello georgia are you listening in i don't think that lucy is the first person to mention this another fab australian set dark comedy slash drama with the fabulous harriet walter brooke satchwell and francis o'connor it's that perfect blend of light and dark humor and poignancy Lucy, will you write back and let me know, is this something that could be appropriate for Georgia in her mid-teens? Thank you, Lou. Kiss, kiss, kiss. Well, lots of good leads in the inbox this week. Yeah, I went lead heavy. And you know what I'll tell you? We've got a couple of emails that were about um, tropes that need to die. And I've just been saving those. And then I think I'm going to hit you when I've got a collection I'm very happy with. And we'd love to hear from you. The email address is... Fuck off at firecrotchandnormcore.com. And can I just say real fast, it's been a great couple of weeks for emails. It's just been a glorious, full, fat, hot. <laughs> that, that sentence really petered out. <laughs> but please keep emailing. This week, Issa Lopez liked to watch Expats on Amazon Prime. Curb Your Enthusiasm on HBO and Sky TV and now here. The Barbie film which you can find all over the place, Apple TV, Amazon Prime, Sky Movies, and all of us strangers. Sarah watched Dope Sick on Disney+. Plus. I watched Pen15. You can only get season two here in the UK on Sky and Now TV. It's on Hulu in the States. And we like to watch Life and Beth on Disney+. Plus. What's brought this on? Well, I heard the sound of spring. I heard some pretty bird song and I thought, a call to the bird. Am I allowed to share my good news? Go on. I have the lungs of a 46-year-old oh, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all of his health problems are just about the fact that he doesn't take care of himself. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing underlying. It's just all down to being unfit and overweight. Yeah. But in amongst all that, I found out that I have the lungs of a slightly younger man. This was even better than when I found out that all I needed to help me manage my shit was more broccoli. Do you remember that? I went and had some like blood stuff done and they were like, you just need a bit more broccoli. And I was like, say no more. <laughs> Regimented eating of vegetables, not a problem. Remember, if you're looking for something to do on St. Patrick's Day, why not come spend it with me as I try to get this fucking new show together? Maybe see you there. Tickets available at angelcomedy.co.uk. And you know what? I'm so unpolished in these things, but... I'm so present with people, Jeff. I'm really there to give you a fucking show. It's an experience never to be replicated. No, just it's just a little gift between us. Lightning in a bottle. Some of the writing is questionable, but my God, what a live entertainer. <laughs> so do that. 
celebrate my husband's lung capacity. Celebrate your lung capacity and have a wonderful week. Bye. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany, and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live, and move to the UK.